a piece of evidence that you are ashamed or or makes you uncomfortable to talk about may be the key piece of evidence that you need to close your case. Mm-hmm. So for me, absolutely, I'm going to question him as deeply as possible as I can about the storm because it will come back. Welcome to the global phenomenon, surviving the survivor, where we're all just trying to survive in a rough world. What's up, SGS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in true crime. And we're going to get some uh, different perspective uh, tonight, as you're about to see uh, two of the three of our guests, one we're still waiting on, uh, come from a little bit different background than uh, Greg Scordis, who is an attorney who's been following us closely Uh, Nevertheless, it is week six of the Lori Vallow Daybell trial as this trudges on. Some people thought it might have uh, been winding up by now, but uh, it appears there is more evidence to present, which we will get to. And some of it is incredibly wacky and some would say disturbing. Uh, Of course, this is the trial of the so-called doomsday mom. It is the wildly twisted story of a seemingly loving mother a self-proclaimed devout member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who clearly veered way off course when she hit that fork in the road. Uh, She became involved in the deaths of as many as five people, including her own children. Best guess, the first one is still on his way. Uh, He is Detective Sergeant Chris Anderson, a retired Birmingham Police Department veteran with 27 years of experience in law enforcement. You know him from the show First 48. He also hosted Reasonable Doubt on uh, Discovery's uh, ID channel, and uh, he's the host of the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast and the author of the just-released book, The Case. So uh, hopefully Detective Chris will join us momentarily. You've seen Steve uh, Peterson before, but not uh, regarding this case. Uh, He was a senior special agent of the United States Department of Justice, the Drug Enforcement Administration, otherwise known as the DEA. He did that for nearly three decades, and at the time of his retirement, was the most senior DEA agent in the entire world. He says it's because he was the oldest. Um, and uh, Steve also did some PI work as well uh, for Stephen Smith's family. We met him doing the Murdoch story, and. Uh, He's back for this now. Uh, Chris Anderson is in the house. I'm going to let him in. There he is. I read, I read the bio, and he has appeared. How are you, Detective? I'm great, man. How are y'all doing? Good, good, good. Chris has that mellifluous voice. I love it. And here is uh, Greg Scordis. He was a Democrat candidate for United. Uh, I'm sorry, for not the United States, but for the Utah Attorney General position. He has practiced law since 1982. He began his career at the Salt Lake Legal Defenders Association as a prosecutor, and uh, now he is a criminal defense attorney, uh, and he does it all, including uh, delivering great commentary on this case. Uh, As usual, some quick uh, housekeeping notes. Please follow us on Facebook, Insta, Twitter. We are at Podcast STS. You can also listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts, and if you do, please give us nice amount of stars. Uh, You can also support us at Patreon and as a YouTube member. And believe it or not, the merchandise store is open and people are buying, which is crazy, but I love it. So I just posted someone with a shot of a coffee mug with Carm's face on it. And then on May 18th, there will be 
a Patreon and YouTube member event with Carm and a best guest. It could be one of these three guys. We don't know yet. Um, so as far as it pertains to the Lori uh, Vallow story, both uh, Steve and Detective Chris are new. Detective Chris, um, this is one of the weirdest stories that uh, I've come across in a while. From um, your standpoint as an investigator, uh, where does this rank on the crazy scale? <laughs> you know, uh, I think saying that this case is is, is a crazy case is, is really putting it mildly. I've worked over 300 death scene cases, and this is the craziest, absolutely the craziest case that I've ever seen in my in my entire history of being a cop. You know, you have everything. You have child murder. You have brothers and sisters that are, are being committed suicide because they are linked to murders. Everything that you could ever imagine, it it it, it, it happens in this case. So I kudos to the investigators who uh, worked this case because I'm sure that they caught a lot of sleepless nights in order to put the pieces of this puzzle together. And uh, Steve, to you, same question. I mean, you've uh, you you were obviously on the uh, drug side of things as a DEA agent, uh, but you're a, a master investigator. You were at it for many years. Uh, when, when you read about this and you're and you're preparing to come on here for this. Um, I mean, just how bizarre is this story compared to some of the others, including Alec Murdoch that we did together? Well, the Murdoch circus is a whole nother game. But uh, but the sad part that they have in common is they both include the, the murders of family members. And you just have to wonder, what is going on out there? What is happening in this world? What's happening to our country? I can't say that I'm that familiar with the the church of latter-day saints but i know that this is not in any stretch affiliated with them other than by name this is more like some kind of voodoo cult it seems than anything else yeah and i'm glad steve that you brought that up because there's uh, a sensitivity issue for sure and uh you know they were members of the church but this is this has nothing to do with that religion this is just no. as perverted as it gets it could have been a Jewish person like myself, uh, someone like Chris who practices his religion, who just went, you know, off the deep end. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, to you, Greg Scordis, uh, there were predictions that this could have been over at the end of last week, or at least we could be in closings, but uh, doesn't appear to be the case yet. Um, obviously, the state has some more evidence that they're presenting is there ever a risk in presenting in, in what they call prosecutorial overkill, just taking it too far and lose, starting to lose jurors? Oh, yeah, I, I think that that can that can happen in almost any case. But I'll tell you this, Joel, this is a case the state of Idaho absolutely cannot lose. They can't afford to lose it. They cannot leave any stone unturned. They're going to put every bit of evidence they can in front of the jury. And it's largely a circumstantial case. I mean, we don't have... The, the smoking gun. We don't have some of the evidence that that you might have uh, that, that Chris and Steve have put together in their careers, probably. And so, uh, it, it the, the state of Idaho has done a very meticulous job of putting this case together. I know we're today is day twenty two or something like that of of trial, which is a lot. I mean, I've done a lot of long trials, but never gotten into day twenty two. Uh, I think they're about to wrap up. 
But I would say just one one more time that the prosecutors in this case, if they had a piece of evidence that gave any help to their case, even if at the risk of, of sort of boring the jury, they had to put it on because they cannot walk out of there a week from now and a jury come back and say not guilty to, to Lori Vallow Daybill. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Chris, to you, um, did you ever did you ever come across any uh, you know cult like motive in any of your three hundred something homicides? Um, I know you wrote a book called The Case about uh, the case closest to your heart, but mm-hmm. out of those three hundred, which was like the creepiest and weirdest <laughs> that would be akin to something like this? I've I've never, and I can honestly say this, I've never had a case such as this. I had a I had one that was cultish, and and but it was more of a rape, sodomizing the victim case. The victim in the case was a uh, was the was the mother of the suspect, you know, and that's about the craziest. And it that one went very very crazy, but nothing such as this. I've never had a case like this. I mean. <clears throat> No, in in any of the cases that I've worked, I've never had anything like this. Well, these guys have heard it all. Chris just mm-hmm. said the mother of the suspect um, mm-hmm. was sodomized. That's insane. Yeah. Um, what what about to Steve's point, Chris? Um, are are things are things getting weirder uh, in your opinion out there? Are, are crimes getting just more bizarre? Um, or is it just uh, because we're seeing it through this lens, you know, covering this day to day? Or is there something bigger going on here? Is the world getting a little crazier right now? You know, I, I can't venture off and say that the world is not getting a little crazier because it feels that way. But I, I will say this. I don't think that this is anything that has never has never been done. Now, it's just because of the Internet. You know, I feel it is because now we have, uh, you know, we all carry around a computer and we have that instant access to everything that's happening worldwide. Whereas, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we may not have had that much access to see exactly what happens, you know, in, in the neighboring states or, you know, maybe halfway around the world from you. But now I think the Internet and and, and the technology within uh, within our households has made this world so much smaller. And we have so much access to information now that it, it does feel as if these things have never happened before. We're seeing a, an absolute new day in, in, in homicides or in crimes that are happening. But in, in reality, for those of us that have been in law enforcement for over 20 or 30 years, we've seen this. Just not as, 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 as it, it wasn't as prevalent as it is today. Uh, Iris Hewlett writing, it's obvious she wanted, meaning Lori, to live a free life without her kids and was selfish, but to do the unthinkable, that is pure evil, of course, killing her own kids. Justice for those sweet kids who didn't get to live a happy long life, followed by Tali, who is watching us in the Holy Land, ready for another great episode with the great Chris Anderson and best guest. And we've got Sarah here from Nashville and uh, Frankie Figs, a friend of the show. Um, Steve, to you, since I've got two great investigators, I mean, one body was found charred and basically unrecognizable. The other, uh, JJ was asphyxiated, found, you know, shoved into a plastic bag with duct tape everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you, as an investigator, how do you begin on this and how do you possibly separate these images, uh, when you're going home at night? Well, I don't know that you ever can separate the images. 
you can't unsee these types of horrendous uh, events or sites. And, and sadly, nobody ever really thinks much about those victims. They, they, mm-hmm. The first responders that go out and, and, and find these horrendous scenes, uh, we just take it for granted that you know, cops see this every day and therefore we should be able to, to stomach it. But, it. but you can't. And it, uh, you do take it home. And, and mm-hmm. oftentimes you try to dilute it with a bottle. So you don't see it as clearly, which leads to all kinds of other problems. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I agree with Chris in that you know, when I was a kid, now, granted, back then, you know, they, they carved messages on the wall in the cave, but uh, <laughs> they just had newspapers that were thrown at your door. And you, you if you were lucky, you got the local uh, NBC affiliate or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you saw what was happening in your immediate neighborhood, in the city, and maybe the state you lived in, but not much beyond that. And today, when you have all these newscasters, all these news stations, the Internet, the World Wide Web, all these journalists who are all vying for your attention, they all want your clicks. You know, they say if it bleeds, it leads. And something that is so... Uh, marketable, something that is so horrendous, the more horrendous, the more clicks you're going to get. And and this information gets out there. And it had, I'm not saying this exact same scenario, because of course it hasn't, but there are murders every day. Mm-hmm. And, and we've been seeing this for generations, but now we're seeing it every day. We didn't see it before, right. you know, and now we're seeing more and more of it. And of course, it's got everything you want if you're one of these people that are into this kind of thing. It's got sex. It's got religion. It's got murder. It, you know, it's conspiracy. It's excitement. Hey, what a great – this is something you'd see in a reading a book or watching a movie. Not something you'd see happen real life, real time. Although they say that uh, truth is stranger than fiction. I think that's the case here. To your point, just this other mass shooting, one of – uh, over 200, I think, this year already, uh, if I'm right about that. Um, in Allen, Texas, you know, a dash cam video caught it. Um, so now we're seeing we're seeing mass shootings basically in real time. It's uh, it's a definitely a, a different world right now. Uh, Marina, who's uh, in a safer part of the world in the south of Spain. Hi, everyone. Greetings from Spain to this beautiful, beautiful community. So what level of cray-cray are we dealing with today? Well, you're going to find out momentarily. Pretty cray-cray-cray. Uh, Tiffany is uh, in Costa Rica. Uh, we got a Cubs fan in uh, Northern California. So it uh, must be difficult, as well as uh, Canada here. Um, so, Greg, we've talked about this before on the show. Uh, Lori walked in this morning. And keep in mind, uh, some of these text messages we're going to get to today were. Um, basically revealing openly messages between Lori and Chad about wanting to kill the kids in so many words. And she comes in today and uh, she's described as chatting and laughing with her attorneys uh, in the courtroom. I mean, at this point, if you're her defense attorney, I guess you're just throwing your hands up in the air or you just don't care. But um, how is this going to play to the jurors, you know, long term that they keep seeing her laughing in the courtroom? Not well. And and to the defense attorney's perspective, I, I think they threw their hands in the air when I was watching their opening remarks and, and felt uh, that they, 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 they were not 
they were not really uh, too keen on what they were about to spend the next month doing. Um, nonetheless, I think they've done a fair job. But no, I mean, I think you want the jury's watching that. We've talked about this on your show, Joel. The jury watches that. They're watching her from the moment she walks in. They're watching the way she's dressed. They're watching the way that she uh, interacts with her attorneys. And you do want a little bit of collegiality there. You want to humanize your client as an attorney. You want to, even if they've done something horrible, uh, you want to be able to give the jury the impression that you're not afraid of them, that you're not fearful, that you don't think that there's some sort of a monster. But but the bantering, especially uh, if you're dealing with the mother of child victims, you can't imagine anything more painful. And if anybody on this panel besides me has kids or grandkids, I mean, what's worse? What's worse than losing somebody like that in, in that relationship? So the relationship between a mother and a child is probably the strongest bond you can imagine. And to think that she's sort of laughing a little bit or, or chumming it up with her attorneys as we're addressing the murder of her two children is really hard. And you would expect maybe that the attorneys would be hoping she would dial that back just a little bit and show some empathy. Even if she is trying to say she wasn't involved in it, you'd think it would still tear her, tear her up to hear and see pictures of her children in the state that you described just a minute ago. Yeah, and I don't think any normal person could ever react the way she's reacting right now, whatever normal means. Uh, Papa Bear, special shout out always. Hello from Moscow, Idaho, of course. Now the infamous home to those uh, four University of Idaho homicides. And then I'm so glad we have Steve Peterson here to answer this question. Amy Marta, Steve says, I'm beginning to be an STS addict. Should I be worried? Uh, I What I say is it's better than crack cocaine, right, Steve? <laughs> Well, if you're only two choices, yes, I would say that. <laughs> better than Alec Murdoch. At this point, I don't mean to deliver a low blow, but better than being a Boston Bruins fan. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. That, that was a little low. That was a little low. <laughs> yes, that was a little low. My, my dad, uh, may he rest in peace, said everything was religion. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you could be into baseball, into the Bruins, into whatever it is. True crime, crack cocaine, stuff became a religion to people. Yeah, it all uh, can. It all yeah, can be. Very. Everything, uh, I guess, is better in moderation. Uh, Detective Chris, to you, just back to the point that uh, Greg Scordis was just making about the fact that kids are involved. Um, I've got Detective Phil Waters on here every Friday, a Houston homicide PD that investigated 400 homicides. And uh, he's a Marine. He's tough. Some people love him. Some people don't love him so much because he speaks his mind. Uh, mm -hmm. I love the guy. But uh, he says the one thing that he can never really shake are images of babies and children that he has seen through the course of his career. How uh, difficult is that? And uh, I know you have a book another book coming out, I think, about uh, mental health issues. Just tell us about that, too, briefly. Yeah, so, yeah, and, and Phil is absolutely right. And those are some of the images that you just don't get away from. You don't go, you, you, you never forget about the cases, especially when you deal with children and the elderly. Hands down, the worst cases that I've ever worked, and, and those were the cases that, frankly, those were the majority of the cases that I investigated in my city. Uh, and it, they're very hard. Uh, you take them home. Uh, you, you go home and you, you hug and, and hold on to your kids as much as tight as you can for as long as you can. And then, you know, you, you find yourselves if, if you a guy like me who's a very protective over their children, you know, you, you find yourself seeing your kids in a situation and you think about the absolute worst thing that could happen. 
and then you you know you 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 try to you try to sit down and talk to them, but it's in that voice, that cop voice, because you, you're you're not thinking about these are your kids. You're thinking about the, the other you know five or six victims that you just investigated their children's cases, and so you know I I, I uh, it's it's just a bad. It, it sometimes it can become bad if you don't learn how to to deal with the cases or learn how to talk to people about uh, some of the things that you're going through as investigators. And, and that's the reason why you see so much alcoholism and and and, and things of that nature and suicides with cops, uh, because some of them don't know that's that's their fix. That's the way that they they, they deal with some of the things that they uh, they see on a daily basis. And the book that that you just spoke about is is man, you are crazy. Myself and my, my partner, uh, Kevin, we are both ex-cops that come from two different sides of law enforcement. And we are writing a book that uh, talks about some of the things that we went through as law enforcement officer. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a cop from the South. He was a cop up North. And we find that a a lot of our, uh, uh, our dealings in law enforcement is are similar in how we dealt with those things. Kevin, you know, he is a, uh, a recovering alcoholic. Uh, myself, I, I had to seek help for, you know, uh, uh, being as, as, as engorged in drinking as I was when I was in law enforcement. So, uh, man, you are crazy. We'll, we are hoping that this book becomes the encyclopedia of what needs to happen or what you should do as law enforcement, as family members, uh, or as just a person that loves somebody that's in law enforcement. And you see some of the signs that they're going through that we write about and what you should do and how you should handle them. So we don't even have uh, just best guests. We have smart and empathetic guests. And uh, Chris spent a career in law enforcement, mm-hmm. now trying to help other guys. And uh, that's personally why I hate when people come down on law enforcement, because uh, they see things and deal with things that the general public never will. And um, they do put their lives on the line. There's always mm-hmm. a few bad apples, but you could say that about any profession. Uh, and I'm sure Greg Scordis would agree. You could say that about some lawyers, too. Uh, Shivani says, hi, I love when Mr. Anderson is here. That's why we have him. And I love when he's here, too. And uh, I didn't know this till like the fifth time I interviewed him. Chris Anderson, this little teddy bear, is six foot five inches. This guy's a big, big man. I never knew it. Um, Jennifer Castaldi, a Jersey girl. Always an amazing panel, Joel. And, and today is a good one. I'm excited for this. Uh, Greg, to you, um, Larry and Kay Woodcock uh, are back in court today. They were back in court. Um, and there was testimony, um, sort of some of these text messages that went back and forth um, were discussing them. Uh, from a, a attorney's perspective, trying a case, I mean, how sensitive do you have to be? You are, you're, you're a prosecutor as well. Um, you've got the victims, families in there, and uh, basically they're talking about uh, Lori and Chad about not really being too fond of Carrie, uh, Kay and Larry Woodcock, and they're in the courtroom. So how sensitive uh, does the state need to be? Because they're, they're presenting this evidence uh, when the people who are being discussed are sitting uh, in that courtroom. You know, uh, they've been there pretty much throughout. I think Kay was the, in fact, the very first witness the government put on. And, um, and I think they did that for a reason, because Kay and Larry wanted to watch the trial. And we know from the exclusionary rule that witnesses are precluded from hearing other witnesses until they've testified and they're done. So 
So uh, the state may have may have recognized these very people. These are some people that uh, are very involved in this, sort of up to their ears in it, and um, presented a, a pretty good opening statements for the for the jury in their in their um, testimony. At least Kay's uh, Larry was didn't testify, but you know they're, they're involved in this, and the jury knows that they're involved in this, and they're they're family. They're they're right on the edge of this of this family. So. Having them there, having them be talked about, may have made the jury a little angrier at uh, these two characters carrying on with their with their text messages and Lori and Chad, and and just seeing two more, not necessarily victims, but two more people who were in their crosshairs a little bit, uh, may have been may have been something the state uh, thought could potentially be helpful. But you're right, it, it's when you're when you're prosecuting a case, and I worked for the district attorneys here in Salt Lake for. For eight years, uh, you 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 know that victims are watching cases closely. Victims' families are watching cases closely, and you know that it brings back a lot of hard feelings to them. And so, you you have to be very sensitive to that. I think the state of Idaho has been very sensitive to the victims' families in this case, and that is important. Uh, Angela says or asked, did Alex Cox commit suicide? Uh, his death was ruled natural causes. Uh, something tells me that. Uh, be exhumed one of these days once this is all said and done because something seems a little fishy there. Uh, Steve, to you, uh, again, as an investigator, what I'm curious about, um, did you have a singular case in your career that stood out that was very high profile? And uh, if so, or if not so, how do you prepare uh, to give testimony? Because we're hearing from an FBI special agent today, and we're going to get into that in a moment. But how do you prepare to testify in court? Well, I would say probably the most difficult case that I worked on and testified in was the murder of another DEA agent who was my first partner on this job. And he was murdered in Atlanta in 1987. We worked together down there. And I, I, I became the lead investigator, which is very unusual that DEA would even maintain that investigation. Um, Normally the FBI would take over the death of a federal agent, but but DEA maintained it. And I attended the autopsy and I, and I testified in trial and investigated the other participants and, and it was brutal. And uh, I mean, I, I broke down a lot and, you know, how do you prepare? You, you go over the facts and you try to treat it as if you are uninvolved. You try to treat it as if you are looking at it from 30,000 feet and, and as if that's not the body of your best friend, that's just a body. Um, and, you know, I mean, it led me in some dark directions for a while and it was difficult to get over, but uh, here I am you know, 35 years, 40 years later, and I'm uh, maybe a little fatter and a little grayer and a little balder, but I have survived. Uh, But here we are trying to make sense out of a senseless crime. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to find reason uh, for people acting unreasonable. And that's what's so hard. You try to rationalize irrational behavior and you can't do it. You can't say, well, what drives a person to do this? Well, God knows. They said the same thing about Alex Murtaugh. How could he murder his wife and his son? 
You know, how do you steal from the people, the families of the people that raised your children? Because there is evil in this world. And uh, Detective Anderson, you get someone like Lori Vallow in the interview room um, and you're starting to learn these things about what went on. I mean, what do you guys kind of say to each other? I mean, how do you, cause you know, you're dealing with a level of crazy in there. Um, but how do you, how do you continue to conduct an interview with someone like her or Chad that seemed to be in a different plane of reality? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a, uh, that's a very good question. And uh, my answer is to keep talking. Most of the time, a person will talk themselves into a corner. Uh, you find the things that as an investigator, while you're conducting an interrogation, the main thing that you want to do is pay attention to what clicks with your defendant or the person that you're interrogating. So with a person like her, you have to figure out those those little, little those little nuances that she does in the interview room. Start to watch things like body languages and how she relates to certain questions that you're asking you out uh, you pay attention to uh the emotion that she releases during certain questioning and then you stick with stick with that line of questioning because that's the best way to to to, to elicit a, a confession on anyone is play to their emotions uh and, and with a person like her who's kind of detached with from reality uh you have to really really pay attention to, to those certain nuances that happen within that interrogation room. Uh, and and it, it wouldn't take, you have to have, have to be a, an extremely seasoned interrogator before you go into a room with a woman like her, because uh, I've, I've watched some of the old uh, interrogations that took place during the initial stages of this investigation. And she, it, it seems like she may have uh, Played her, her played to the senses of some of the investigators, and some of the things that she was doing in those interrogations were not paid much attention to. So, yeah, that's what you have to do. You have to pay close attention to what she says and how she answers the questions. And uh, Detective Chris C. Emery, right here with this question: Didn't Lori stop to think that people would be asking where her kids were before they committed these awful acts? Uh, why is it that oftentimes criminals? Um, don't think about the most obvious things. Um, you know, I, Steve just said that, you know, it's abnormal behavior, you know, mm -hmm. ab abhorrent behavior. But um, it seems so obvious uh, that someone would come out and ask this. Why aren't they anticipating that when committing crimes? Is it because criminals are stupid? They don't care. Um, she's been described as smart. Uh, what's mm -hmm. going on here? You know, at the, the, the there could be a, an extremely large list of reasons why she didn't do the things that she did. And, and that's a very good question also, because, you know, there are some very damning text messages that she sent that implicates her in these crimes that makes her look very extremely guilty. Uh, but <clears throat> so I don't know. I don't I don't know. Uh, maybe she she wasn't as experienced as she needed to be to commit the multiple murders that that she stands accused of now. Uh, so that that's a very good question. I can't answer it. Uh, it, but that's a very good question. Uh, Greg Lynn says this case is so extraordinary and the evidence so vast. Uh, they're not bored, uh, meaning the jurors. I think they'll wait an obligatory hour to convict. Uh, there is not actually an obligatory hour, but, um, do you agree at this point that there's just uh, a mountain of evidence that Lori Vallow cannot escape from? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Sometimes uh, the jurors have an obligatory hour because the state finally feeds them and they get their <laughs> they get dinner and they'll ask sometimes when do we get dinner? Um, but uh, you know they're twelve jurors. Uh, they've got a selected four person. They have seven counts that they need to deliberate on. They need to talk about each one and their elements to each count. And they may feel they may walk into that room and say, "Hey, let's take a vote." who's guilty and who votes not guilty. And it may be 12 zip times seven real fast. I, I think that would be really hard to imagine. I really do. The, the evidence has been pretty powerful. The state's still got more evidence. We haven't heard the defense at all. And they may not present evidence. We don't know that. Uh, but I would say with a trial this length, uh, Joel, it wouldn't be surprising for jurors to deliberate over an entire day, a full day, just to rehash everything, just to go back to day one and make sure they're doing everything right. Um, I, I say that in deference to both sides because I, I, I think the system works. And I think jurors want to do the right thing. And and they haven't talked amongst themselves already. I don't know if you know that, but jurors are told not to talk during the trial amongst themselves, except maybe about the, uh, the Bruins or something. They just don't really get to talk about the facts of the case or what's going on. They have to wait until the end, and then they can spill things out. They can talk about what did you see, what did you think of that, and sometimes that dialogue can take a little while. Stephanie Scott, am I mistaken, or have I seen Chris on the first forty-eight? You definitely have seen him there. He also uh, was host of Reasonable Doubt. He has got a book, The Case. He's got a podcast, The Crime and Cookie Juice podcast. He's about to have another book. Uh, what is it? Oh, man, you're crazy. Man, you're, man, you're crazy. crazy. Mm -hmm. Man, you're crazy. Uh, Lindsay Shea here. Happy to catch a live with three of my favorite best guests. And look where she's from, Steve. Jersey from Quincy, Mass. She's got both our states covered here. So... Uh, He's also in mourning over the Bruins, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed you're not wearing your Bruins jersey, but I'll stop. Yeah, well, I'll stop. This is my red stop. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop poking the bear now. Um, so, Greg, uh, this former FBI special agent, Doug Hart, he was on the stand Friday and into today, and he was going through these multiple text threads, which are so crazy that I didn't even know where to begin. So I'm just going to dive into it. but. Before I get into it, um, he basically said that it was clear from this evidence, this is the agent speaking now, that romance, lust basically drove these crimes, uh, that they, it was the driving uh, force behind these crimes. We've heard from, you know, the circle of friends, which was pretty incriminating and damning, but the investigators are playing a very big role. The uh, Chris Andersons and Steve Petersons of the world are playing a very big role in this case because it looks like they did uh, yeoman's work and really dotted their I's and crossed their T's. Do you see it that way, Greg? Oh, yeah. And, and, I, and I really have to hand it to law enforcement. We're not talking about a, a big city here. In fact, uh, where the crimes occurred is actually a very small part of, of southern Idaho. Um, and you wouldn't have necessarily expected them to have some of the resources that a bigger city had. But those detectives, the local ones, really did a great job. I mean, the, whoever found that hair on that piece of tape, on that, on that uh, bag that little JJ was wrapped up in that matched Lori, uh, ought to get a Detective of the Year award. I mean, 
And, and plus, they did bring in the feds. They did bring in the big boys to make sure that they did it right. And there's no there's no shame there. There's no pride. These law enforcement agencies seem to have worked very closely together in this case, to their credit, to their credit. And you can tell from their testimony, because we don't expect officers to get on the stand and talk about sort of the, the power, sex, and money that, that the prosecutor did in their opening remarks. But these officers get into the into the weeds a little bit here instead of just the facts, ma'am, and just telling what they saw. They are actually talking about some of their perceptions and some of the things and, and helping the jury understand the meaning of some of this evidence. I I, I think that they've done a, a very good job, law, no matter what the verdict is. We don't know what's going to happen in this case, but you, we certainly cannot blame law enforcement if this case goes south for the state of Idaho. And uh, Detective Chris, Greg just talked about this hair. So there was a hair found on a piece of the duct tape on the bag that the young boy was uh, basically put into uh, either suffocated in there or suffocated uh, and then placed in there. It's not hundred percent clear, but uh, the DNA experts said it's a one in 71 billion chance that it's anyone else's hair, but Lori Vallow. Mm -hmm. um, when you get a piece of evidence like that, um, I know it's not, you guys never say game over, but it's about as close as you can get with that, right? In some cases it is, but you know, you have to understand that Lori Vallow had access to her child. So it, it could be, it is conceivable that there's a possibility maybe JJ was somewhere close to her. And when another person came in, you know, uh, or, or the, the, the suspect just maybe somehow gathered a piece of hair uh, into that tape and wrap it around JJ. It's it's a possibility. Now, look, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. His audio just. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we lost you for a second, Chris. Hang on, I think we just muted you. Hang on a sec. Unmute yourself, there, Chris. Go. You hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah. You just you went into. Reverb. Oh, we're hearing. We're hearing you. Go ahead. It's plugging back in. I love it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Am I in? You're good. You're good. Yep. All right. We'll hold off on Chris for a minute, and we'll move to uh, Greg. But Chris, you're good as long as you can hear us. Um. So, Greg, basically, uh. The Lori Vallow Daybell murder trial today took this massive turn in that this investigator came out and said these texts that were exhibited uh, and put into uh, evidence today on the record explicitly show a plan to, quote unquote, take the children. And we'll get into it now. So there was this issue of turning the pain up to 10. Texts between Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell show that Chad told Lori, and I quote, I turned the pain to 10 and placed a spiritual virus in her. Um, and then they went on to these like bizarre scales, these bizarre number ratings. Chad to Lori, she's at a 0.13. I turned up the pain to 10 and as again, placed a spiritual virus in her. He is at a 99, and these other people uh, are talking. Uh, and then it ends with, oh, that is so sweet. I miss you desperately. I mean, how does it get any more incriminating 
than this when you're talking about putting a pain level uh, of one of the children who is now deceased up to a a level of a 10. Um, how can any jurors get beyond what they're hearing right now? It's going to be hard, Joel. It really yeah. is. And these are incredibly important uh, text messages for the three counts that involve conspiracy. Because even if some by some miracle, Lori can convince the jury that she wasn't actually uh, present when the homicides took place. She's she's actively uh, talking to her husband, and they're talking about what needs to be done. They're talking about the 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 spirituality of these kids. You know, when they get down to a zero, they're they're dead. And the, I guess the one was down to a point one three, and uh, that's 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 sort of their cryptic way of talking about what they're doing. They're sort of creepy way. And, you know, and I st think Steve working at the DEA knows that people don't just talk on the phone and say, hey, can you buy some cocaine tomorrow? They'll talk in, in languages. They'll talk their own sort of verbiage. They'll talk the things that, that they clearly understand. And maybe they think, you know, somebody might be listening or somebody might be recording this, but they won't know what we're talking about. But when you put it in the big picture, when the state puts this evidence all together, those conversations make perfect sense in terms of showing her complicity, her knowledge, her even sort of prompting of these homicides. Um, so then there's another exchange, and, and they kind of go up and down like a, a roller coaster here. But uh, Chad says to Lori, basically, uh, D Detective Chris, you back? You, you have us now? We're good. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. We're all good. Um, by the way, Sarah's asking, how do you become a member of STS? Uh, there should be a link in the show summary for Patreon and uh, some sort of explanation about you being, becoming a YouTube member. I'll have the uh, the wife explain it, the chief marketing officer. But Katie Cool Lady just became a YouTube member. So maybe you guys could chat and uh, figure it out. Because uh, to be honest, I have no real clue. I just host it, though. Uh, but um, Greg, to you for a sec. So, And I'll get back to Chris. So the the state said, look, we've got these gazillion texts that we pulled off the uh, cloud, the proverbial cloud, which now gets a lot of people in trouble because no mm -hmm. matter what you try to delete, it's up there in the cloud. So be wary of that cloud. Um, but Jim Archibald hopped in, Greg, and said that the prosecutors are, quote, unquote, picking and choosing what's important here by uh, asking witnesses uh, to choose the most damning evidence. But it seems to me like you could have literally just picked any text out of the cloud and it would have been incriminating. So was that just standard posturing by the defense there to try to convince the judge to try to keep this from the jurors and it just failed miserably? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the state's entitled to put on their evidence that's damning to the, to the defense. I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. I mean, if Lori was a great Sunday school teacher five years ago, who cares? That's not part of the case. What they want to do is is go through their text messages that have something relevant to the trial that's at hand. And if it's damning, put it on. If it's not, let's see what the defense can put on in their cross examination. The state doesn't have to put on both sides and the you know balanced. I mean, these people probably had hundreds of text messages going back and forth. Let's go have dinner tonight. Let's go fool around. Let's go do this and that. Who cares? What's important is the text messages that relate to the state's theory of the case. And they're absolutely entitled to put that on because it helps prove their case. That's why that's why they they dig into those. 
And, uh, you know, they may have found some other things on the duct tape. But that hair that belongs to Lori is the one the jury needs to hear about. Who cares if they found some from the, the cat or something like that? So, I mean, the defense can say what they're saying and, you know, well, they should have played all the all the text messages. The jury might say, go, let's hear them. Let's hear one defense that that helps that helps your client Lori out. And you can bet they're not going to put any of those on. Um. So, Detective Chris, uh, Jennifer Castaldi, a uh, question to the panel. This is a little um, off left, you know, out of left field here, but I, I'd love for you to address this. If we go back to biblical times and beyond, yes, there have always been crimes and criminals and murders. However, don't you think the motive has changed? And I, I'll add, and if so, how? Uh, I mean, Chris, we, we touched upon this earlier, but to this point, you know, from bib biblical times to now, um, I know Phil Waters says, Murders are always committed because of, I think he says, uh, money, sex, and what's the third one? I always forget. But anyway, three it may, things. It may power. have been drugs, money, yeah, yeah drugs, power. It's yeah. all it all falls and fit in the same thing. It, you know, uh, do I think motives have changed? I think the way we look at the motives, yes, they they may have changed, but it's always usually the same thing. Even back in biblical times, you make you know you make. And whereas today you may have uh, uh, killed a person, uh, uh, today's time we see murders happen because of a drug debt. And but back in biblical days, maybe it was uh, a murder that happened because of an uh, uh, you know someone owed them for for hay or something that they hadn't paid for. You know, it, it's all. I think it all uh, it all falls up under the same scale. Of, uh, but but <clears throat> has murder changed? Absolutely. Uh, Paula says, Joel, how do you get the best looking guest on your show? But you didn't tell me which one. So you got to let it's me know. Greg. It's always Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go with Chris Anderson, no doubt. But uh, Paula, let us know who that best looking guest is. I'm curious myself. Uh, and then look at this. You're not alone, Steve. Uh, Anthony Onorado, shout out from Boston, Mass, the Bruins. That was a gut punch. Haha. <laughs> ha. I don't think he thinks it's too funny, though. Um, Steve, to you. So back to these crazy text messages. Uh, this is a text from Chad to Lori, and I promise you they get even better. But he says to her on July 15, 2019, uh, I know you won't get this text for another hour or so. But my love for you is overflowing right now. I just want to hold you endlessly. You are my wonderful best friend that I can't live without with two heart emojis. Uh, and Lori responds to Chad, and yet you are so sad, missing you. Just landed, got to get to work. More kiss emojis. Um, I love my wife, Steve. And, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, um, I show it, you know, I'll give her a kiss, but this is um, something that a kid in seventh grade would text to his <laughs> girlfriend. What is going on here from an emotionally uh, stunted perspective? I mean, when I read this, I'm like, Chad Daybell never dated a woman in his life, even though he was married for 30 years. But what, what's going on here? This just sounds like it, it's, it's beyond the pale of ridiculousness. Well, it's it's two people trying to manipulate each other, and you've got them playing up on each other's egos. And you know, if you remember, you know, I've been married. I celebrated my thirtieth anniversary just a few weeks ago, but I can remember in the early stages of our relationship, we were like kids. 
we were talking like that. We were trying to impress each other. Well, these are two idiots who are doing the same thing at this point. They're trying to impress each other. They're just trying to manipulate each other. Each wants something from the other person. Mm -hmm. So if we play up to their egos, perhaps we can get what it is we want. We just got to find the right stooge to play up to, and then we can get what we want from people. That, that's how I see a lot of this conversation going on. It's just two manipulators trying to not, not only manipulate each other, but the people around them, the brother Alex, some of these other people involved, some of the friends and 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 parts of these groups who believe they're going to meet up with the spaceship or get beamed aboard or you know <laughs> see the second coming, whatever the cult, whatever. And I say cult, but whatever this fiasco is. Yeah, in the name of religion, which is which is blasphemous, right there. Mm -hmm. But this is even this is what they're trying to do. And Chris, I wanted to get back to you. I asked uh, Steve this question, but what was your highest profile case during your time, and how do you prepare for a case of this magnitude uh, in terms of you know getting on the, on the stand and delivering testimony as an investigator? Yeah, for, for me, my highest profile murder, highest profile murder was the murder of uh, an elderly couple. And what we later found out was their son, who were all all three were murdered by a an 18 year old defendant who uh, never confessed to the murder. But he says that the, the, the actual suspect in the parents murder was their grandson who took the bodies off and dumped them. But, you know, after months of investigating the case, we ended up finding both parents and their grandson who had been murdered. And he gave us uh, a, a, a an admission, uh, but never a confession. That was probably the most highest profile murder that I, I investigated. It was a it was a triple homicide that happened. And uh, the cases, it gets it gets kind of wild. Nothing like this, but it gets kind of rather wild. What was the motive for that? The motive for that murder was. Uh, he was trying to kill the only witness to another murder that he had committed uh, along with the grandson who, uh, but uh, he committed the murder. The grandmother heard him shoot her grandson. She comes downstairs. Then he kills her. She was 90, 89, 88, 89 years old at the time. And then the uh, grandfather who was upstairs who couldn't see, couldn't hear, could barely walk. Uh, he just went upstairs, killed him, dragged his body downstairs, taped him up, put him inside of a, a blanket, put all three of the bodies inside of a vehicle and dumped the bodies out in uh, in a field. Uh, well, we, we didn't find them until almost nine or 10 months after the murders actually happened. Uh, so, yeah, that that was the motive behind that murder. Uh, and he we ended up charging him with those three and plus another murder that he committed of a 94-year-old uh, man that they broke into his house and robbed and killed him. So, uh, <clears throat> and, and this all happened in, in the same general area. So it became uh, one of the, <laughs> one of uh, our most high-profile homicides that we worked in, in my, that I worked in my city. Well, it was the highest-profile murder because it was, we had to pull in the FBI, you know, U.S. Marshals, a, a lot of, all, all of the, I call them the alphabet crew, but all of the federal agencies in on this investigation. And that's where a lot of investigations uh, are, are, are um, they can get 
really, really bad because there are a lot of moving parts and where you have, you'll have one group of, of investigators doing one part, portion of the work and then another group of investigators that are doing another portion of the work. And you as the lead investigator, you have to make sure that everyone is getting the information back to you, what's already been done, or you'll end up overworking yourself. So for me, my investigations, preparing for my investigations started when the investigations happened, staying on top of everything that happened and knowing how to 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 uh, manage the details of every investigation that you go into is was my most important aspect of the way I investigated my cases. Very interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there the is was that a death penalty case? That was it. Well. He ended up pleading guilty, so they didn't give him the death penalty. He pled guilty to all four murders. Life without parole. Absolutely. Chris, what are these guys? I mean, these guys ever, like, do they, how do people not understand that you're going to prison for life for doing this? I mean, do they not think about the repercussions of their actions? I just don't understand. I'd be so afraid. I am, I am so afraid to go to prison. I would just never do anything just because of that fear alone. How mm -hmm. come they don't fear this? Most 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 murderers that I've spoken with, they never think about the consequences. The consequences never even cross their minds. Sometimes it's out of anger, sometimes it's out of fear. Sometimes they are the they are the thinkers that they are the most smartest people in the room that they'll never be caught. Uh, and you, as an investigator, have to sift through all of the information that they're giving you during that interrogation in order to figure out which type of person, which category this person falls into. So for me, in that particular case, uh, he, he was one of the smartest guys in the room, if you will. Uh, he, he thought that if I tell them that someone else committed this murder and I give them the details about how the murder was committed, they'll never find these bodies. So I'm in the clear. Well, we ended up charging him with the first murder because we had just enough probable cause to charge him with it. And then uh, luckily... The, 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 the hands of justice turn a little slower when you're working homicide cases. So we were able to locate all three of the, well, we were able to lo locate the, the, the elderly couple. And then uh, the following day, that's when we went back out to that location and we located the, the person that he said actually committed the murders. So we then used his statement uh, against him and he gave details about how this person committed this murder. And, and in all actuality, you know, he had to have been there in order to see some of the things that he said. So in all in actuality, he just replaced the, 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 the dead victim uh, 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 with himself. And that was the reason why his his attorney, who, which was one of the best attorneys here in the state of Alabama, uh, he, he decided that they would go ahead and plead. He talked him into pleading guilty and saved him from you know being put to death. Yeah, saved his life, uh, <clears throat> yeah. even though he might not deserve that. Uh, Sarah, I'm glad you asked. Joel, give us an update on how it's going writing your book. Um, it's torture, but it's fun. Um, I'm trying to make it like cathartic and meditative, but I write every weekend, all weekend. And prior to that, I interview my mom because it's a book with advice from her. So far, uh, I'm about, about halfway through, about 35,000 words, trying to get mm -hmm. to 70,000 quality words. Uh, but I would love SCS's input now that I think about it. We are doing big life subjects with advice from my mom. And so far, some of the ones I have covered, children, should you have them or not? 
um, marriage, should you get married or not, uh, money, the importance of money and finance. So if you guys have um, out-of-the-box, big-picture subjects that you want advice from Carm uh, on, hit me up and let me know. You can tweet me at podcaststs or you can email me, survivingthesurvivor at gmail.com. But when I get to the finish line in July, um, you probably won't see me for a month when I disappear to, uh, I was going to say Hawaii. That's a bad place because of Lori Valla, but I'll disappear somewhere. Um, and then look at this. Um, being the detective I am, this is not the person who posed the original comment, but the answer comes from someone else. Alley Cat, love Chris Anderson, handsome man. That's what I said. It could be any one of these guys, though. It could be any That's one of them. Right. Thank you, Alley Cat. <laughs> Uh, Greg Scordis. So another bit of these text messages has to do with not getting the insurance. Uh, one of the motives we just heard is money. Lori writes to Chad. This is Lori texting to Chad. I just got the letter from the insurance company saying that I am not the beneficiary. It's a spear through my heart. Who do you think he changed it to? Brandon or probably Kay? He left nothing for JJ. Uh, she was hoping to get JJ's money. And Chad responds going, wow, that's terrible. There's no way to find out who it was. Uh, I might be able to see when I get his computer on Sunday. I could check the emails I sent to the insurance company. It goes on and on and on. Again, Greg, I mean, they are just openly talking about wanting their dead children's money. I'm on that jury, and I'm not on that jury. But if I'm on that jury... My mind is completely made up. Is there any way around it at this point? Well, you know, the spear through her heart should be the loss of her children, yeah. not the fact that she's not going to benefit financially from their deaths as she had hoped. And she was benefiting financially from receiving their Social Security benefits and other payments while they were alive. So she I mean, they, these two, I, I think it was Chris was talking about it. I mean, these two were just a. a bad people that got together. I mean, they were just a couple of, I mean, there was no reason for these two people to ever gotten together because she's, she's drinking his Kool-Aid and he's drinking her Kool-Aid and they're both thinking there's a means to an end here. I mean, they're not, they're not thinking about, uh, you know, we're going to get caught or we're going to get in trouble or poor kids. They're thinking, Hey, you know, we're going to make some money. We're going to live comfortably. We're going to have a nice time. Uh, bury the kids in the backyard and destroy their bodies. Nobody's going to find it. Nobody's going to be the wiser and we'll live happily ever after on the beach and hold hands and, and be lovey dovey. And they don't, I don't think either one of these two ever thought about being in a Boise, Idaho courtroom in front of 12 jurors facing life in prison or for Chad, potentially the death penalty when they're carrying on these acts and absolutely justified it. Well, you know, we, that's a, that's a spirit in my heart. We were hoping to get some money out of this. I mean, uh, just the callousness of this, the, the cold callousness of it has got to be turning the juries really against them in, in ways that they, they probably never expected when they were writing these things. And uh, SCS Nation reminded me that Alex was in fact cremated, which I knew. So he will not be exhumed. KCL tell me that. Anna Lisette telling me that. Alley Cat telling me that. So thank you guys for stepping up. I did know that. Uh, so he died in natural causes, and I guess we're never going to know uh, otherwise. Katie Cool Lady, friend of the show, uh, where's the best channel to listen to the trial audio? I can tell you uh, 
I think one of the most credible outlets regarding this case is East Idaho News with Nate Eaton. Shout out to him. Uh, so I've been getting a lot of my information from there. Oma Jip, hi from Holland. What's up, Holland? Uh, Chris Anderson, to you. Uh, this is back to kind of what I was asking Steve about. Another exchange, Lori to Chad this time. It's making me so happy to read about our life that I'm finally going to dance. Missing you and loving you from afar. It was great. I feel free again. I love you more than ever and can't wait to be with you forever. I'm begging father and mother. That's my job tonight. And then Chad responds to Lori, I will be right beside you, begging you uh, with heart emojis. I mean, again, this is something I feel like you would hear at the high school prom. Uh, at, from an investigative standpoint, how do you how do you read this kind of, you know, adolescent behavior from two grown adults who one was married four times previously and the other was married. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, from an investigative standpoint, you'd love to see something like this because you, you mentioned that up against the physical evidence that's found at the crime scene. And, and we talked a little bit about the hair that was found in the tape. And I gave you a, an explanation of something that would have to be, you'd have to figure out how we can tie her into the murders. Well, there it is right there. Your text messages ties her into those murders. And it's extremely, extremely, extremely damning when you have multiple messages that are saying some of the things that you've read out on, on here in front of us. It's extremely damning for the, 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 uh, the, the, the defense and they will have to overcome it in some way, shape or form. Uh, I don't know if, if they can. And, but at the same time, I've seen some juries do some crazy things. So, um, you know, look, that, that, that they have some, the, the investigators in this case did a lot of work to tie up those loose ends in a case like this. And, you know, it's, it's rare. It's extremely rare that you see these types of text messages that are so damning in a, in a homicide case that's so enthralled as this one. Um, Greg, uh, to you, uh, and then we'll get to this question. So the issue of hurting children, and we both uh, heard the two investigators say that that is, you know, one of the hardest things to, to deal with. But there's kind of veiled and not so veiled references to hurting children at 10.08 this morning. Um, the investigator, the FBI agent is asked about this and he says the references in hurting children and giving them a reason to scream are relevant for this investigation because there was some debate over whether or not to allow this, but a few moments before uh, in a text exchange, Chad says to Lori, this is where it's a little veiled and weird, but they're basically talking about hurting the kids. One question, do you want me to cause pain yet to those two threes you're riding with? Uh, probably, uh, Lori says to Chad, probably hold off then till we arrive. This will be a mistake to deal with, but I'll text you if they start acting up and we can zap them. Um, I mean, this is crazy. We can zap them. I mean, that makes you think, I don't know, were they immobilized? Were they tased, uh, before the, the you know, they were, they were murdered. Um, but it's sick nonetheless. And again, this is one of these, um, exchanges where I feel like if I'm a juror, I just don't know how you get past it. Yeah. And, and maybe there's not, but you know, part of the, Part of the defense, I don't know if there is a defense to this, is that Lori and Chad, especially Lori, for what we know so far, believed 
I mean, just completely nuts that there was evil, that these that these people were evil and needed to be destroyed and needed to be killed. And so there isn't the sense of compassion. I mean, when you're killing evil, you're killing a zombie, you're killing a person who's who's gone so so much on the on the the scale that they're now down to a close to a zero. So I mean, even when she's talking to people and and saying, "Well, you know, your kids are missing. Aren't you upset?" And on these phone calls that we heard earlier, she's kind of like, ah, "You know, they're in a better place now. Don't worry. When the truth will come out someday. It's it's all fine. We we got this under control." She's she's justifying it. There there's no there's no tears shed by Lori over the death of, of her children. There's none at all. And I don't I haven't seen any in the trial either. Um, it. You know, she has to be excused on day two because she couldn't look at these pictures. But it wasn't because they were upsetting her for the loss of the children. It's because they were sort of gruesome. And um, I, don't, I don't know that they appreciated what they were doing. But they, they back to your question, I, I kind of dived off here a little bit. But they, they were both justifying what was happening here. In their hearts, they were doing something good, which is really hard to fathom. Yeah, that is that is the, the really twisted part about it. Um, Sarah asking, uh, how do the guests, Steve Peterson, think Lori is faring in jail right now? Ada County is not supposed to be the nicest of jails. And how uh, will she fare in prison? And, you know, I know you've been to to visit prisons, not you personally, but, you you know, you, you, you know, the, you know, that world. Uh, what's your gut tell you about how she would do inside a uh, state prison for the rest of her life? Well, jail is uh, jail is uh, is a is a country club compared to prison. Jail is the place you go to prepare yourself for prison. So mm -hmm. I'm sure she's doing fine in jail. Uh, when she goes to prison, we'll see. It's 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 not like orange is the next black. That's that's not exactly the way the prisons are run. It's it's not uh, it's not enjoyable. What's I think the most difficult part is is the isolation. It, you know, if you're narcissistic, if you feed the ego all the time, and that's, that's all Lori is, suddenly now you're placed in a in a position where every other inmate has got an ego bigger than yours. And men and Lori is not a big woman. She's a small woman. She's she's gonna find that uh, uh, physically she's gonna be in some trouble perhaps. She might be um, intimidated or bullied uh, easily in prison, and I, and I don't think any anybody realizes what that's like until you go there. You know, the scariest prison I I went to the Atlanta Pen back in the early '80s, and it was terrifying to be inside the Atlanta Penitentiary because I knew I was the only person in there without a weapon. Mm. So I just think that. Uh, uh, I don't know what the prisons are like in Utah, but uh, I got a feeling they're they're no country club. It's got to be my uh, top three fears in life: uh, life in prison. That would I I just I couldn't imagine. I could not imagine. Um, Detective Chris Anderson, I think Lori and Chad really believed the world was ending, and it wouldn't ultimately matter who was looking for the children. Greg kind of just alluded to that. Do you think that they were so disillusioned that they truly do and did believe all of this insanity? What what just sounds absolutely crazy to all of us, but not to them. 
Yeah, it's extremely possible that uh, they did believe that way. I mean, that that would be, you know, a, a way to explain all of the the damning text messages that they sent to each other. They didn't think that, you know, maybe maybe this uh, this fantasy world that they were living in, that they thought that, that no one would ever notice them because uh, by the time they're caught, <clears throat> the world would be over. Uh, the world as we know it would have been over, so. You know, yeah, it's, it's very possible that they thought like that. And mental illness in this country, we've seen how how bad it is. And and these are, you know, I don't think that they were mentally ill in the in the way that some of the people in our country are suffering with it. But I think that there is some illness there uh, that would explain some the reasoning their reasoning behind uh, sending the the, the the very damning text messages that they did throughout this entire investigation. They were so concerned about the world ending, they decided to live out the last few days or in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I, I'm not convinced that they really believed the world was ending. <laughs> uh, the voice of reason, Steve Peterson. Uh, she Jukester says, Lori knew the kids were not zombies. That's just a cryptic term they used to kill them. So a little uh, divided in the court of public opinion about whether they were in fact, crazy or acting crazy? Uh, Greg, back to you here, Tali mm -hmm. from Israel. How Very do you jurors engage in such a long trial? They probably already forgot testimonies from the first days. Do you go in with a strategy on what points are the most important to hit? Um, what do jurors do? It's week six, week five of testimony because there was jury selection. But uh, And some of this today happened to be, you know, lewd and lascivious but uh some of these days are really tedious and boring you know yeah it's tough when you have a long trial to keep jurors uh, uh interested especially like a white collar case where you've got so much paper and so much things uh, that you need to put on um but jurors are often allowed uh to take notes to keep notes uh to 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 uh, sort of keep track of what's going on on a given day and when they go back into the deliberations Maybe one will say, hey, do you remember day three when we heard this? And another one will say, well, the way I remember it was a different way. And, and that's why there's 12. That's why they that's why they get together and they come to a, a decision amongst the group. Um, it, you know, we haven't. It, it's really weird, Joel. They picked six alternate jurors in this case. So there are 18 people in the box waiting for this trial. And when the trial started. And I think there's still 18 there. I don't know if anybody's been excused. So. These are not jurors who are anxious to get off the jury or who are, have other things going on that are more important or who are, who are falling asleep or, or disengaged. I mean, people are watching it. I mean, people are watching your show right now because this trial is so interesting. I mean, this is an interesting case. This is something that the jurors are sitting there going, I can't believe I'm seeing this and I'm seeing it firsthand. And I'm going to make a decision about this. This is this is me. I'm going to be justice someday. I'm going to be the, the hand of justice. So to me, and maybe I'm being Pollyannish, I don't know. But to me, I think those jurors are 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 really doing the, the best they can and, and keeping engaged and keeping the state's uh, case on fire and keeping that that emotion going. I don't I don't see them. I don't, it certainly hasn't been a boring case from the state's perspective so far. Uh, Steve, you'll love this. Tali again in Israel. Uh, the clock behind Steve is hypnotizing, followed by 
Katie Cool Lady, if I stare at that clock long enough, can someone please give me a suggestion about laying off the carbs while I am hypnotized? Uh, what you guys have not heard is that grandfather clock ringing and doing its thing. Um, I've shut creepy. off the time, so they won't do it during a podcast. <laughs> a little creepy, Steve. I love it. But it is, uh, I guess, one one person's creepiness is another one's uh, hypnotizing uh method and this person look at this it's a beautiful grandfather clock i don't know where do you see grandfather clocks you see them in like horror movies old old horror movies a lot of them so uh i was tough on you with the bruins so i'll i'll, I'll lay off the clock so it was uh, an anniversary gift to my wife so there you go mm -hmm. I, it, it is cool though it is cool it is very cool um so this next part, we all need earmuffs, even if you're adult. So there's an exchange here, uh, and I'll get all your takes on this so we don't leave anyone out. Pay attention to the word storm because it comes back into play. And uh, this is Lori writing. Uh, is this Lori writing to chat or chat? And we'll figure it out as we go here. I, I didn't take great notes. You are so adorable, beautiful, wonderful, heavenly, luscious, and angelic. This has to be Chad talking to Lord. I thought that was somebody so, writing to me. <laughs> and you, Steve, and you. So many divine attributes rolled into one dynamic, desirable package. I want you even more desperately than you want me. Lori responds, just grab me by the storm and I will follow you to the ends of the universe. Chad asks, when might that be? Lori responds, Wednesday evening, and then repeatedly and gloriously until Friday. Chad replies, and then what? Lori says, back to crying and saying goodbye, back to the box. This trip to Utah had a lot of finality. I was told extreme changes are coming to me and to Utah. And then the investigator, Hart, from the FBI, is questioned about it, and he reveals, earmuffs, the word storm is the name that the couple had given to Chad's penis. The, ga the courtroom audibly gasps. Uh, Greg Scordis, what happens? What does it mean? Greg <laughs> what does it mean? I'll just ask you this. When a courtroom collectively gasps, is that a big win for the state at that moment? Well, it goes back to the last question you asked me, and that is, is the jury paying attention? You can bet they are. I mean, the whole courtroom's paying attention. I mean, and that's 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 a, actually a, a a zinger for these for the state. Really, you know, you think more, maybe it's more more sort of offensive, but it, 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 the whole theme of the state's case: power, money, and sex. And that's what these two that's what these two were doing. They were they were they were getting rich. They thought they were loving each other, and they were getting some the power that comes with all of that and that's that's what, what that's what drove this whole thing and the state hammered that the the woman that gave the opening statement hammered that at the beginning and the state has done a very good job and that's one example one great example of of keeping with that theme throughout why these two committed this crime i know motive's not an element of a crime but it sure it sure they sure have a very strong motive for why these why these murders were committed. 
Uh, Chris Anderson, let me put you on in a difficult spot here. You're in the interview room and you are speaking to Lori Vallow and she starts to tell you about the storm, the <laughs> gathering storm. And you're confused and you say to Lori Vallow and she's talking about Chad, Lori, I'm confused. What is this gathering storm? And she says, detective, I'm embarrassed to say this to you, but that is the word we use for his penis, uh, the gathering storm. Uh, what is your response to her? Oh, I'm going to question her as deep as I can about the storm uh, because it becomes evidence now. I mean, you know, who, who's to say, you know, that, that yeah, I'm going to I'm going to question her as deeply as possible as I can and get her to implicate it. Uh, talk as much as she what, did, what? Well, what do you know about this storm? You know, how many times have you met this storm? Uh, I, I, you know, what, what what was it like experiencing the storm? You know, these are some of the, while, while we can laugh about them now, but everybody on this podcast knows that you, you need to be, that, that piece of evidence that you are ashamed or, or makes you uncomfortable to talk about may be the key piece of evidence that you need to close your case. Mm -hmm. So for me, absolutely, I'm going to question him as deeply as possible as I can about the storm because it will come back later. Now, Chris, no one's listening except me. Tell me, <laughs> uh, so you finish this line of questioning and you go into the uh, break room with your fellow detectives. Do you just burst out into laughter when you're like, I can't believe this? Uh, or do you guys remain professional at all times? You can tell me. Uh, absolutely. We burst out into laughter. You know, there is no professionalism in those uh, back rooms of the after an interview that, you know, <laughs> you know, the professionalism is left outside of the door once you close it uh, where you're finished with an interview such as that. So, yeah, you know, I mean, but, but in all seriousness, this is a, it's a very serious matter. Of course, we're going to laugh about it, but we, we, we'll, we'll get back down to business afterwards uh, uh, and, and figure out where. Some information may have not, we, we didn't dive deeper enough into certain pieces of that interrogation. So we'll talk about that and then we'll probably go back in the room and talk again. And I am the uh, son of a psychiatrist and social worker. They always said there's nothing we've never heard. Um, Steve Peterson, as a former investigator, law enforcement, DEA guy, is there anything that you feel like you haven't heard? In you? I mean, is there any shock value left for you in this world, Steve? You know, I would have said no several years ago, <laughs> but I'm continually shocked. So, I mean, tomorrow there'll be something new that's even more mm -hmm. shocking. Yeah. It's, it's it's almost a competition at this point now. You know, sometimes I wonder if we're not encouraging people to try to outdo the last right. ass murderer yeah. or the last psychopath. You know what I mean? So... I would love to tell you, no, there's nothing you can shock me with, but that, that would be a lie. And this last thing here, and then we'll start to get final thoughts. Um, so Tammy Daybell, who uh, is no longer with us, thanks to Lori and Chad, it appears. Um, Chad texts uh, Tammy, uh, texts that Tammy has, quote unquote, been switched. Tammy is in limbo, Greg. And she is now, she tell, he's telling Lori this, a level three demonic entity named Viola is in her body. I know I'm harping on the same old thing, but I mean, the, they're ratcheting up the crazy. I mean, the state is just giving one after another after another. And it seems like that 
each of the ones following is crazier than the one before. Is this kind of, uh, you know, with an analogy to music, is this the, cres the crescendo here? Is this the state just nailing her coffin uh, down tight right now? Well, it's just, it just explains that, that there's no compassion for these two. There's no, they justify everything they do. They have, I mean, they can, they can kill someone and say that person was a zombie and they were in a dark state and they're, the, the state has hammered that pretty hard and maybe too hard because I think a lot of us wanted to say, well, okay, they're bad people. They're, they're monsters. They justify everything, but how, do, how does that make them killers? And, and then we've talked about some of the evidence that kind of does, kind of does make them killers, kind of makes them more than just people who find a means to an end. And the end is that they're going to be rich and, and love, love making love on the beach in, in Hawaii, uh, that these two uh, just, I don't know, you can't even, you can't, you can't make this up, Joel. You can't even, and, and we got two experts here that have seen stuff you and I don't even want to think about seeing. But even this one has to be troubling for, for guys like Chris and Steve. Uh, Chris Anderson, you're starting to steal my women now. Baby doll <laughs> says, Chris is hot. All caps. Mrs. Anderson is a lucky woman. You better screenshot this and I, show I, her. I, I should screenshot it and send it to her, but she, yeah. she, it won't bother her at all. It's, it's, it's the bald head. That's what it is. It's yeah, the bald head. It's shave the new that head. Yeah, man. That's all yeah, you got. Yeah. Summertime, man. Uh, Emily Louise, well, ew, Joel, that was quite a reading. Um, and quite a lawyer is Greg Scordis. He was a Democrat candidate for Utah Attorney General. He has practiced law since 1982, starting as a prosecutor, winding up as a uh, criminal defense attorney, and a damn good one. Um, Greg, is this going to ever end? Uh, it feels like it needs to end now. Will it end this week, do you think? We all thought it was going to end last week, and I'm surprised it didn't. I think the state's done their job. If they if they have anything else, any other zingers, bring them out. But it's uh, uh, I, I think you got to wrap it up this week. Give give the case to the defense, and let's get this to the jury sometime next week. And by the way, someone did ask, and I forgot to put it up uh, about the defense putting on a defense. Uh, what is, what is your latest thought on that? Do they call witnesses, or do they just? go with what they have and, and uh, rest their case. I think they've got to put somebody on who that is. I don't know if they've got somebody to debunk the DNA evidence. That would be good. If they've got somebody to go after some of the detective work that was done here, it'd be hard to imagine them putting Lori on the stand, but ultimately that's her choice. And she may want to go sell a, a used car to this jury. I don't know. Uh, but you, it, it'd be hard to think, you do 22 days of trial and the jury just got, or the defense attorneys just get up in front of the jury at closing and say, Hey, they haven't proven their case because <laughs> you, you got to do something. I think you got to do more than just say reasonable doubt, reasonable doubt, reasonable doubt. They didn't, they didn't overcome reasonable doubt uh, because the state's put on a pretty compelling case. Steve Peterson, a friend of the show, a uh, diehard Boston sports fan, but we won't mention the teams anymore, was a senior special agent of the United States Department of Justice, the Drug Enforcement Administration, otherwise known as the DEA, for nearly three decades. And at the time of his retirement, was the most senior DEA street agent in the world. He, too, has seen some wild, crazy things in his lifetime. He also did some work for Stephen Smith's family. 
uh, regarding the Alec Murdoch trial, which is where we found him. Uh, what about this final question and your final thoughts here, or comment or a question, I guess it is, from Nightwood. Um, Breaking Bad, the movie about the TV show, that amazing TV show about uh, a science teacher breaking bad and selling meth. Uh, what makes someone break bad, Steve Peterson? It's a mystery what drives inhuman cruelty. What, With your experience, why do people uh, change bad. lanes? Yes. You know, speaking of Breaking Bad, I worked a case that was the inspiration for that TV series. Mm -hmm. So I arrested the real Walter White. Oh, but, wow. um, and what turned Walter into uh, such a monster? Greed, money, power. Same thing we're talking about. Hold on. Is the real Walter White's real name Walter White? No. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, it wasn't. It's not. But, I had to clarify uh, that. But he wasn't a chemistry teacher either, the real, the real Walter White. Anyways, um, you know, if you, believe, if you believe in good, if you believe in God, then there has to be a Satan. There is evil. And as much as we don't want to acknowledge that evil people exist, there are evil people out there. We, and Chris alluded to this earlier, we try to protect our kids from it. You know, Greg said it, you know, if you're a parent, a, God, a grandparent, you, you try to shield your family from it as best you can. But where there's good, there's also bad. And we try to, to limit the bad. And we try to prevent the bad. But it is out there. And I don't know that there's any way you're ever going to protect it or, or, or eliminate it. Because people have freedom of choice, free will. Detective Sergeant Chris Anderson, I love it every time he's on. He's a retired Birmingham Police Department veteran with 27 years of experience in law enforcement. Uh, he also co-hosted Investigation Discoveries, Reasonable Doubt. He was uh, profiled on A&E's First 48 Birmingham. He's also the host of the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast. He is the author of a book you better go out and buy right now called The Case. You can get it on Amazon. And uh, a new book soon to be out called Man, You're Crazy about some of the things that uh, law enforcement deals with out there. Uh, Sarah says their sex talk is like something out of a religious romance, followed by John Patzold. Lori, and I'm curious about this from you, uh, Chris, and then your final thoughts. Lori definitely wears the pants. She controlled Chad, Alex, Joe, Ryan, and almost Charles until the end. Charles even became a Mormon because of her good grief. Uh, in your opinion, is it uh, ultimately Lori who is pulling all of the strings in these multiple relationships? Is she really the master manipulator here, Chris? And any final thoughts you have? I do think that she is a, a master manipulator in, in a case like this. And, and, you know, us as men, we are we can be sometimes easily swayed by a, a woman that we have feelings for. But I don't want to say that she is the only manipulator in the case. I think uh, 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 Chad was a manipulator also. And that that, that relationship, the sim sim almost symbiotic relationship that they have, they they, they draw from each other. So. Yeah, uh, I think in some in some cases she did wear the pants, but I think in, in, in other cases he wore the pants. So it's the relationship, the connection between those two that makes it dangerous for not only the people that are closest to them, but for everyone that exists in this country. Our audience can be so sweet. Sarah, I bet a ton of, I bet a ton of people confess to Chris with that 
I'll add it, mellifluous voice of his. <laughs> and then our audience can be so cruel. Uh, Patty writes, Lori is aging in dog years. Um, harsh, but uh, she doesn't look that great. Uh, Nightwood pouring salt in the wound. Dog years, ha, ha, ha. Uh, quick programming note. We will be back live tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern time, as we watch this trial wind down. We have Tim Jansen, a super savvy criminal defense attorney, and we'll have two other guests as well. Uh, we already have them booked, but I can't remember who they are because I didn't take notes. But uh, I will tweet them out at Podcast STS. And uh, hopefully, this case, this trial, comes to a screeching halt by the end of this week because I think it is time for it to end. Uh, until next time, till tomorrow night. Love you, America. Love you, South Carolina. Love you, Boston. Love you, Salt Lake. And love you, Birmingham. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, Get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.